Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. I appreciate you changed Raheem Mostert's name to Kareem Mostert. No, I said Kareem. No. This is the Press Box. Tyler, are you still there? With Grady and Bischoff. Those two maroons <laughs> can jump on a boat and sail up Lake Mead, never to be seen again. On ESPN Las Vegas. Welcome to the Open Championship. I'll be pausing all day to watch this thing. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Eh, a lot of golf on, but I guess we should start with basketball. we got something better, though. Oh, I've, God. I've got good news for oh, you. Oh, God. No. During the 8 o'clock hour. Oh, God. I thought you were going to say you won some stupid horse race last night. During the 8 o'clock hour, we have two of my fake horses racing. Okay, so you'll be saying nothing during that hour. And we're all going to watch it together, no? Well, for the next three hours, I'll be pausing to watch well, golf. So Can either of you do, like, live play-by-play of, like... Of the golf and the horses? Of the horses? At the same time? No, like, one of you, yeah, one of you is like, ooh, that is, that's a nice hit, and he's, he's got it on the green. Shoffley's already out of bounds. It's not a good start for him. One of our races, winner gets 160 bucks. If you're racing at 8 o'clock this morning, when did you have to sign up for it? Uh, 10 o'clock last night. Oh, not like 3 in the morning. No. Oh, well, it's gotten well, to where we're almost at 12 well, hours from why when would, you sign up to when you race. Why would you yeah, laugh? That, hey. Because nothing could be funny about it, although we've talked about this stuff the well, entire time. You also keep advertising it, so you're actually making your own wait times longer by adding more people. <laughs> yeah, no, they got to figure this out. I want more people in the game. So My they, horses are more valuable the more people that join the game. They just got to figure it out so we can have more than one race at a time. All right, you guys want to do the first bite? Or? Might as well. Lee Westwood just uh, uh, one over for the day. Here you go. The first bite. Oh, dear God. All right. What was more important? Chris Middleton's 8-0 run to give the Bucks a six-point lead under two minutes or Giannis's block on DeAndre Ayton? That's a long first bite. That's the longest first bite yeah, I think in the history. That's a long first bite. That's just historic. You nailed it. I know. It wasn't any hard words in there. You're good. Chris Middleton was really, really good last night, man. 40, that 8 run, but that block is one of those plays that's going to be shown for like years and years and years well, when people do the NBA Finals, and they're going to come back and see what he did on that block. And I think it's the block. And let me ask you this, because this league is full of nothing but incredible athletes. I mean, that's the league is defined by the athleticism in that league. On a bad leg to do what he did and hedge on the, the drive and then recover to block it, I mean, I don't know how many people can do that. Are we sure it's a bad leg? It doesn't look like it's a bad well, he leg. Well, he said afterwards his legs, his left leg isn't 100%. So, I, don't, I mean, I think may, I'm not saying more can't do it because they're incredibly athletic, but that was amazing. Yeah, the incredible part about that block is that he stopped two players on the Suns from getting yeah, a layup same thing. on the same possession because he's defending the, the ball screen off the handoff and his defense makes Devin Booker pass the ball because Devin Booker sees, oh, Giannis is in my way. I'm not going to be able to get a layup over Giannis. I better throw the alley-oop because DeAndre Ayton is open, slipping behind him. And Giannis had the, A, the ability to recognize very quickly that Booker was throwing that alley-oop, and B, the ability to get back, recover, and block that shot. And not just block it, 
block it above the rim. Like mm-hmm. the ball is at the top of the square on the backboard. And Giannis goes up to that point and knocks it out of DeAndre Ayton's hands. It's unbelievable. You say, and by the way, you say we're going to see it forever. They didn't show a replay of that until the game was over. No, that's on what them. What the hell were they doing? That's on them. I guarantee before game five, they'll show 10 replays they of it. Better. And they, they will break it down, everything he did on the entire play, and they'll break it down. But the block was amazing. Um, it's a two-point game at that time. I'm I'm all with Devin Booker because usually when you throw up DeAndre Ayton, this just in can dunk a basketball. So you're probably thinking, I'll just lob it up and we'll tie the game. Um Incredible play by the guy. Incredible play. Afterwards, they said his they said his left leg wasn't one hundred percent, and if that's true, then he's even it was even more incredible than we already think it was. So Middleton was great, but that's you know that I don't know if it saved the game, but it certainly was the pivotal point in the game. I think Middleton was more important though, because the Bucks offensively late in that game weren't particularly good. They got some transition, and transition's always good, but they, in the half court. They were not particularly good, and Chris Middleton hit a handful of mid-range jumpers down the stretch out of bad offense that that basically won that game for him. They were down two, and he went on an 8-0 run all by himself to put him up by six. Like, to me, the Chris Middleton shot-making late in the game, the Chris Middleton scoring late in the game was more important because the Giannis Giannis play is more impressive in a sense that it's a wow, like that's a moment. But the Bucks, we've talked about it. the Bucks in this series. Somebody besides Giannis has to be a competent basketball player on the offensive end. And when they've lost games, it's because Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are kind of useless. And Drew Holiday offensively well, was useless. He was last useless night. last night. He was like four seventeen. Yeah, he's good defensively, but he was useless yeah. offensively last night. And they needed somebody besides Giannis to be a competent offensive player. And Middleton was that late in the game. Middleton Middleton struggled throughout the game too. I mean, he got forty points, but he was. He shot 15 of 33. Mm-hmm. It's not like he was super efficient last night. So he wasn't that good until the end of the game. And I, to me, I think that's what's important. The way the Bucks win this series, the way the Bucks have won the last two games is by getting good performances out of one of or both of Holiday and Middleton. And when you get that closing stretch from Chris Middleton, and when it's, again, it wasn't great offense. It was they would run a ball screen and the Suns would defend it pretty well and Middleton would have to take a pull-up mid-range jumper and he hit a few of them, and that's why they were able to take the lead late. I, I think that was more important. The block is is the play. It's the moment. But Middleton closing that game out offensively is what the Bucks yeah. need to win this series. The only guy who did not like any of it was Greg Popovich because this means it's probably going seven, and Chris Middleton and Devin <laughs> Booker will not be in Tokyo uh, as soon as everyone else. Um, Popovich said that the other day. Asked, he was asked after the uh, game against um, Argentina, do you are you watching the finals? He said yes, and then he paused. He goes, "I'm actually watching two or three guys only because <laughs> that's those are the ones who are going to be joining us in Tokyo." If he watched last night, he has to feel pretty good about things with Booker and Middleton. He probably thinks, "Well, you know, we got to get some scoring." I mean, they have a lot of score first guards, but I think it's I'd be surprised now if it doesn't go seven. Right? I mean, still not a series. Think, still not a series. I think the Bucks could win it in six. I since outside of Game One. The other three games in this series, the Bucks have been better. The the reason the what's happening in the last three games is that the Suns cannot get layups. They can't do it. Again, Giannis had more layups than the entire Suns team yesterday. One player for the Bucks is getting more layups than an entire team. I to me, like the reason the Suns won game two, even though I think the Bucks played better and the Bucks got better shots, the Suns hit twenty three pointers. And the Bucks missed, what was it, 13 layups yeah. or something ridiculous yeah. like that? Like, those were the two reasons. That's how the Suns win in this series right now.
because the Suns can't get layups and they can't stop Giannis from getting layups. Drew so, Holiday, I think, missed twelve of those yeah, thirteen. So the way the Suns win a game, the way these games are being played, the only way the Suns win is if they hit an insane amount of threes or the Bucks miss an insane amount of layups. If one of those two things happens, the Suns have a chance to win. But are we really counting on the Bucks just missing a bunch of layups or the Suns going 20 of 40 from three again? That's a stupid thing to count on. Like, I honestly think the Bucks are winning this in six if the Suns don't make a significant adjustment. And they've had three games to do it and they haven't done it. They still cannot get layups. Drew Holiday last night, 4 of 20, 0 of 5 and 3. Yeah, oh, not good. He was not good. He's not good. Good. He was pretty good defensively. You're right. But, I mean, he yeah. made it up defensively. He's, but He's, he's important good. defensively. Yeah, he's, he's a good defender. But 4 of 20, 0 of 5 and 43 minutes. <laughs> Man. He and Middleton and, and Giannis, all 43 minutes. But it's the end of the season, so you're going you're gonna to play that load the way it is. I, I, I'll, look, uh, you might be right. It's just, you know, you get that crowd going in Phoenix. They're just, I mean, everyone's better at home usually in these situations. They tend to be more so uh, a lot of time because of that crowd. Uh, but I'll give you this. If Milwaukee goes and wins game five, yeah, I would think coming home be a huge, huge uh, hurdle for the Suns to get them in six at that place. And the other reason, and take Devin Booker's game as an example. Devin Booker scored 42 points. Devin Booker was insanely efficient. He was like 17 of 28 or something like that from the floor. He was unbelievable last night. But he hit 14 of 22 mid-range jumpers yesterday. 14 of 22. He Devin Booker scored 42 points. He only took three layups. That That is insane. And he is not going to go 14 of 22. You cannot, as a team, expect Devin Booker to go 14 of 22 on mid-range shots. Only took three threes. Yeah. Like, he he did not take the efficient shots last night, and he still had an incredibly efficient game because he could not miss a mid-range jumper. And again, if you go back and watch almost all of those shots Booker made, if you're the Bucks, you're saying, we played that fine. We we Like, they contested mid-range jumpers almost all the time last night. I thought the Bucks were dominant defensively oh. last night. Like, again, he made shots that is one, and Devin Booker does this a lot, where he makes a shot, and you're like, Bad shot, how do you make it? Right. Like, I mean, he, he'll make shots, you're like, that's a really bad shot, and then it goes and go, oh, I guess so. I mean, I, literally, I, you watch him, there are a couple on the baseline where you're like, there's no chance, and he makes the shot. And like, all right, what are you going to do there? I mean, you can't get mad at yourself. Yeah. But if you're the Suns, you, you have to get better offense than that. Your offense cannot be, oh, crap, Devin Booker's going to have to take a fallaway 16-footer. Yeah, that was <laughs> like, And that's what it was last night. <laughs> he and he was one. awesome, and he, that's why they had a chance to win. But if you're the Suns, that can't be your offense. You have you have to get layups in this series. And they since game one, they haven't done it. It's three straight games where they cannot get to the rim. You can, you cannot win a series that way unless you hit an insane amount of threes, and they've sucked from three-point range the last two games. Booker could have had 50-plus if, if he played enough without the fouls. <laughs> could have had 50. He had 42. Well, I mean, he, he also should have fouled out well, of the well, game. Well, the, the one, I, yeah. which was astonishing uh, on the drive. That he did was it was it uh, holiday? Yeah, it was holiday. It was holiday in the drive where he wrapped him up. Yeah, which was just he, like, yeah, he, it's just like okay, I guess I'm going to throw the ball. Yeah, and holiday just kind of flips the ball back and they get the dunk or what? I think Giannis, whoever was whoever was trailing, but um, that was the one on the the wrap up was I don't and I was watching the replays on ESPN. I don't know who was uh um who was the uh, the broadcaster there, but it was just like they're dumbfounded. Like, how how isn't that a foul? Right. Like, how is it not a foul? And how is Devin Booker doing that when he's going to foul out the next yes, foul? Yes, yeah. 
Like just let Drew. No, Holiday you let him. Have you let him have layup. the. You let him have the layup. Yeah, like it, unbelievable that they didn't call that. Unbelievable that Devin Booker would even put himself in that scenario. Was, what was the second situation where he could have fouled out? There were two situations. Well, the wrap up was these. It was just astonishing. And then there was another one where, like, there was oh another yeah, transition. Play like, where... yeah, you know, I guess refs don't know he has fives. Like, come on, like, <laughs> it's, so, it's just so stupid at points where you're like, okay, I know about stars in the league, and I get all that, and you want it to be decided by the stars, but when you literally wrap your arm around a guy's waist as he's going for a layup, <laughs> you should probably call it. It's not like he just went up and challenged the shot and maybe hit him in the arm, like, all right. But you, he yes. wrapped him up. Yes. <laughs> like, come on. It, it was like a, hey, it's the second quarter and some guy's yes. getting a fast break. Yeah, we we'll, just, just, we'll just not yeah. let him allow him. Yeah, we want to exactly. send him to the free throw line yeah. rather than give up this dunk exactly. here. That's exactly. what Devin Booker did in the fourth quarter. When With he's five fouls, his, when he's and he didn't get out. the sixth call. <laughs> it was brutal. And, like, it's probably a good thing for the NBA that the Bucks won last night because the officiating it wasn't great the entire game. But if the Suns win... And like Devin Booker hits a shot late to help them without win. getting called, and that yeah. no call had gone with him should have having fouled out of the game. Oh, it's brutal. For then the we'll NBA. really see the replay yeah. because then oh, we're not talking about the the Giannis block. We're not talking no. about Middleton. We're talking about the referees. He should have been fouled Devin out. Devin Booker in yes. the game, and he won, it and for he the hit Suns. the winning shot. Right, like it, that would be a brutal scenario for the NBA today. But we're talking about the Bucks winning because Giannis made an unbelievable play, yeah. and. Chris Middleton was awesome late in that game. He could I, I don't know where Booker was on the floor with the Chris Paul turnover, but like you said, they're down two. If he like, you know, if he flares out and hits a three, you're you're exactly right and like yeah. wins the game and it's like, uh, what happened there? Yeah. And he's the one who hit the three. Yeah, would have been unreal for them. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into a little bit of the Golden Knights because a certain winger could be a trade target. Carlson revient, il clique qu'il a, il ne lâche pas, Suzuki s'approche de l'action, Smith la passe derrière, attention à Théodore, il lance Riley Smith à l'embouchure du filet, crée l'égalité. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finlay Kia text line at 69187. Finlay Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. My fake horses are running in the 8 o'clock hour. Get ready. It's going to be the best thing we've done on this show is live races. It's not as good as Louis leading Spieth by a point, and they're both by by a stroke, and they're both in the clubhouse. <laughs> it's Thursday, Ed. It's Thursday. Like, oh, here he is. Here's Rory. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, boy. All right. In some Golden Knights news. Oh, boy. Speaking of Golden Knights. This is going to be an interesting offseason because we're getting to a point where Pretty much every player that's either a free agent or possibly traded is mentioned as, oh, the Golden Knights are in on them. And pretty much 75% of the Golden Knights roster is mentioned as, oh, they could move on from that guy. Uh, so we'll see what they end up doing. Uh, Severali, Frank Severali listed a, he had a like, top 25 players to be traded this offseason. And Riley Smith, Riley Smith came in at number six. And here's what he wrote. As the Golden Knights work through the postmortem of another failed quest for hockey's holy grail, there seems to be little doubt Vegas is gearing up for a reboot down the middle. Smith has emerged as one of the trade ships on the wing that GM Kelly McCrimmon is willing to part with to better balance the forward core. So, does trading Riley Smith make sense? Well, I think I want to know what's coming back, but you know we've talked about this after the season. I don't 
necessarily believe that misfit line has to stay together anymore. I think they've had, you know, what, four seasons now? And while they've played well to keep them together, if you can improve your center depth, uh, if you have to move one, then I would move him. He's got one year left on a $5 million deal, so I assume that's, you know, uh, attractive to some suitors that he's only got one year left and you'd have to only give him that and uh, then make a decision on him. So he didn't have a good year. So if you can get your center depth to where you need it and you can make a, a deal to get, like Cervelli says, better down the middle, then, yeah, I think he makes a lot of sense. He makes sense because of the position he plays and the roster the Golden Knights have. Because if you look, like we've talked, we've been talking about it since last offseason, the Golden Knights need more centers, right? They don't have a great or a deep center in terms of top six guys. But if you look at like the left wing, they have Max Pacioretty and they have Jonathan Marcheseau, and then they don't really have another left winger. Like Matthias Janmark, they traded for, but he's a free agent now. They don't really have a third left winger. But on the right wing, the Golden Knights have Mark Stone, Riley Smith, and Alex Tuck. They have a guy who everybody projects as a top six right winger who's been playing on the third line for the entirety of his Golden Knights career. So if you traded Riley Smith right now, it's very easy to just put Alex Tuck on the second line as a right winger, and you're good to go. You have a ready-to-go replacement for Riley Smith. So that makes sense. And if the option is, hey, you move on from Riley Smith and you're able to bring in a center, right? Jack Eichel is obviously the big name out there, but if it's not Jack Eichel, if it's just any center, if you just made a straight swap of Riley Smith who makes $5 million for a center who's as good as Riley Smith that makes $5 million, you probably do that. You're probably okay with that move because of what you need at center and because Alex Tuck is sitting there waiting, ready to go for more minutes. I I, I agree. And I, again, I'm looking at names that he has out there. Uh, you've already said about Eichel, but uh, Reinhardt and others, you know, Reinhardt, I, I don't know what you'd have to give back to get Reinhardt, um, had 25 goals, uh, which was 37 goal pace over 82 games. So you're going to have to get back probably more than Riley Smith. But I just think it's an easy contract to move. I think he's done enough. You know, he wasn't great last year, but he was still, uh, what was it on an, uh, was it a 27? I think he was a 27 goal or 22 goal pace uh, over 82. I'm looking um, at his numbers, 22 goal pace over 82 games. So he's still got value, but yeah, I, if this this guy wouldn't surprise me at all. There's some guys on that team that I would be maybe a little surprised that they would move, but he wouldn't surprise me at all. Like I said, I you've kind of, I'm not saying you've gone to the end with the misfit line, but You've had the misfit line for four years now. You haven't gotten it done when you were the favorites to do so. I would move if you can get something back center. Was I'd move him? I, I I certainly wouldn't blink if they got something back to improve their center line and to move Tuck back. I wouldn't say, oh boy, you can't trade Riley Smith. I wouldn't say yeah. that. The the other curious part is though the value that Riley Smith is going to give you. He makes $5 million. There's one year left. His contract is fairly easy for other teams to take on. But if you're the Golden Knights and if you're if you decide, hey, we need to trade a significant player. Does Riley Smith bring back more value than a Max Pacioretty? Right? Does Riley Smith bring back more value than a Jonathan Marsh or so? Right? Does Riley Smith bring back more value than Alex Tuck or Shea Theodore? Right? So if you're looking, if you're if you're the Golden Knights and you're trying to get more value out of moving one of your important players, one of your higher paid players, I think Smith is pretty far down the list in terms of guys that would get back significant value. I think he's less valuable to other teams than a Tuck, than a Theodore, than a Pacioretty, or a Jonathan Marshall. So if you're, it depends on what the Golden Knights' priority is. We saw last offseason, after they got Alex Petrangelo, their priority was simply to get rid of 
Paul Sasny and Nate Schmidt. And they traded those guys for significantly below market value. Whereas if they hadn't been in a cap crunch, they would have gotten way more for Nate Schmidt and Paul Stasny. So from a value standpoint, if you're the Golden Knights, it all depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to move on, if you're trying to reshuffle or, or reorganize your lines and you're moving on from somebody, Riley Smith isn't returning as much value as some of the other guys on the team would. No, probably not. And it wouldn't just be him. So Cervelli's top 25, only three are centers and all three in the top seven. So you're going to have to pay. So yes. it's Eichel, Kutsunov, and, and um, Reinhardt. So those are big names with, you know, Big contracts. I think uh, Reinhardt's a RFA. Um, yes, yeah, so okay, he says he's arbitration eligible. But still, three of the top seven are centers, and then he has no other center listed. So Riley Smith isn't getting that done by himself. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's part of a deal. But that that goes to the next question of one of those three. We, we asked this last week with Eichel. Like, what do you have to give up to get those guys? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And, like, most of the trade scenarios, if it were for Jack Eichel – they don't even include Riley Smith. They include Shea Theodore. Right. They include no, yeah. Alex Tuck yeah. or, or first-round picks right. and, and Peyton Krebs or some combination of those three things. And so Riley Smith – and listen, maybe Buffalo sits down and says, yeah, we'll use Riley Smith for a year. But really, like if you're Buffalo and you trade away Jack Eichel and you get Riley Smith in return, Riley Smith's only value to Buffalo is for them to trade him again. Sure. Because if, if Buffalo trades Jack Eichel, they're – probably going into full rebuild mode. And so they would want, you know, a Peyton Krebs, a first, they would want future assets, right? Guys that'll be good in three years or four years or whatever it is with one year left on his contract. Riley Smith doesn't fit that. So if you're like with Riley Smith, if you trade for, if Buffalo traded for him, they'd just be trading him again. Like it'd be stupid for them to hold on to him. They'd just be, whether it's the trade deadline or in the off season, again, they'd just be looking to trade him again. So like, in that sense, he wouldn't make as much sense sending him in that Jack Eichel deal. Now, again, it could be like last offseason where the Golden Knights go out and acquire the big name first. They go out and get Alex Petrangelo and then worry about the cap. They could go out and trade for Jack Eichel and then decide, oh, wow, we've got to shed some money. So here's Riley Smith, and he's traded for a third-round pick or whatever it would be at that point because you're not getting much value back on him. One of just eight remaining from the first team. Do uh, uh, he's one of eight remaining? Um, like you said, do the new contract. I mean, we go this through this all the time with this team. If he's on the block and you just can't get a deal done, I, don't you let him play it out? We go through this with the, with this team all the time about who has the leverage and who doesn't. And if let's say he is on the block, let's say McCrimmon has put it out there that okay, he's one of our chips and make us an offer and we'll move him. Like you said, to get tuck up a line and 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 to move on from him. Again, it's just then I would if you don't move him, then let him play his last year. Yeah, I, I, there's just no leverage. Some of these deals they make is like I don't know why teams do these things. I and mean, Flurry's the best example. Uh, I would just let him play out the year. I couldn't. I put it this way: I will be shocked if they would extend yeah. him. Yeah, I would too. And he just wasn't yeah. good enough last year to be like, oh, he's going to continue to you know get better. Yeah, and when we, when we talked to Riley Smith last week, he said they hadn't had those conversations no, about an extension. I wouldn't and I, at this point. I doubt they will. I doubt there will be an extension for Riley Smith because it's a it's a guy you could move and let the yeah. other team sign him to extension if that's what they wanted to. Coming up next, David Roth joins the show. We're happy to talk to him. He just seems happy to talk to anyone. David Roth from The Defector is with us on the Press Box. Subscribe to The Distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code DISTRACT for a free month of Stitcher Premium. 
David, did uh, Giannis and Chris Middleton save us from just yelling about the refs all morning instead? I mean, yes. Uh, I would, I'd only have to do it for 15 minutes. I do not want to know what your like third hour would be like if that was just a smooth Suns win. They're a lot tougher than I thought they were, man. I got to give them credit. I think I just got used to watching them like kind of wash out of the playoffs and like play like they had a sinus headache. You know, every time they got to the second round or something. But like they really were getting after it. Like as great as the Giannis play was at the end of the game, like they keep taking the Suns' best shot and hanging in there. Like I have a lot of respect for them now. Did it also I still think help? they're not going to win the series, but I, like I'm in, I'm into what they're doing. Did it also help that uh, Devin Booker actually tackled uh, a player that should have been a sixth foul, and they didn't call it? Man, they really got bailed out on that one. I mean, it's like the fact that that. I mean, it's harder to notice because like Jackson and, and Van Gundy complain about. I mean, not even just every call. It's, I think they just like the sound of whistles or whatever. Like the <laughs> spending the whole like back stretch of the third quarter for like Mark Jackson being like, "You can't take that long to shoot a free throw," and that's why I think a mandatory prison sentence of three to five years. Like it's all just like very jarring stuff. So like there's good basketball happening, guys. Like you can just talk about that, and then like afterwards you can yell about how the kids these days take too long to shoot their free throws. But, yeah, that was as bad a missed call as I think I've ever seen in any game, and that was an NBA Finals game. Like, he was trying to commit it. Yes. <laughs> He's doing his best. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what more you could – I guess, like, if there was a sort of thing where you could, like, nail a letter ahead of time with, like, a self-addressed stamp return yes. thing in it and be like, I'm going to just – when we're down, that's going to be, like, 30 seconds left in the game. I just need you to uh, pick me up on that one. Um, Giannis – Checked out of the game about two and a half minutes in, and afterwards he was asked why, and he said it's because he had to go take a tinkle. Do we think Giannis needs to schedule his pee breaks better? He, I really respect the fact that he's uh, living that life that only elite basketball players can live, where like I have no idea what his like diet or broader approach is. I know that when he started out in the league, he would like only talk about smoothies. That was like like 100 of his first 100 press availabilities was him being like, do you guys know about Jamba Juice? And everybody's like, yeah, we do. Everybody knows about it. He's like, it's incredible. I've never seen anything like it. They put it right in the blender, and then it comes out, and you can drink it. And so I think that he's like, if it turned out that he was still like on a whatever, like a five-year juice cleanse, like I'm not going to tell him when to pee. Like I don't want to I don't want to be inside that physical experience that he's in. It, it was sort of endearing, though, when he said Tinkle. He said, is that the polite way? Yeah. He wasn't he, really it, sure what to say. He's the best. I mean, he's just as likable a guy. I think also, you know, it helps that uh, like Tinkle is not a word you hear many adults saying <laughs> no, outside no. of like – like, if you hear an adult saying it, they're saying it to a three-year-old. Yes, yes. So it's just yes. delightful to hear it said in public, uh, just in a man-to-man sort of like having a talk, answering a question scenario. So that's that's bracing, too. I like that. Uh, did you enjoy Chris Paul failing spectacularly last night? <laughs> kind of coming around on it. It's weird. He's a real uh, thrill ride emotionally because it's like the I, – I don't want – to be like reminded of all the times that he like duffed games away with the Clippers and stuff. Cause like, I, you know, I admire him. He's a great player and he's also like as great a troll as we will ever see. I mean, it's like I, Draymond, I guess is in the same range, but there's never been anyone that takes as much joy out of irritating an opponent as him. And I want to like be able to respect that. And yet like, uh, yeah, watching him just sort of like either disappear or like, thing that I was thinking about at the end of the game was that, and I think he's probably a little bit hurt, you know, like, we don't know everything that they're going through. 
he just gets really like robotic and like straight up and down and like kind of it's like there's like nine NBA players out there and then just like one guy from a, like a video game from 2003 like it just doesn't look <laughs> animated right you know and that's like kind of a, a drag to see too because like it's it's weird the game flows really well and then yeah when he goes into like turnover mode you're just kind of like like I think I might prefer watching campaign right now like I don't feel great about that but yeah. What did you think, if anything, uh, did, were you bummed that Otani couldn't get past the first round of the Home Run Derby? I was, but I feel like the Home Run Derby, I've got like a much more, we, we were talking about this on the, the podcast this week, and Drew was like really mad about the format, and like why does it have to be a bracket, it doesn't make any sense, and it's like the whole, like they just let Chris Berman go up there and make sounds for like 20 years, like nobody's <laughs> yes, taking yes. this very seriously, like it's... Something it's like uh you know you can walk in and walk out like it's like one of the the films that they have at an art museum like you watch a few seconds of it and you're like I do not understand that and then you can leave and in this case like it's I watched the I watched Otani and Soto and Alonzo in the first round and then we just like watched a television show and then I dropped back in for the finals and it was no like I didn't feel like I I necessarily missed much like. I think that Otani hit enough cool dingers that it's okay, but I was kind of like hoping for him and Alonzo in the in the finals. I like Alonzo a lot as a player. He could not be having more fun in the home run derby. Yes. I wish there was a way that he could just do that full time. <laughs> yes. Like there was a moment where he. This is like I kind of was weird. I like noticed. I guess I I thought to post about it this year. Like it's weird that these are like the best hitters in baseball, just absolutely hitting rockets either over the fence or like at these gaggles of children in the outfield. Like I feel like maybe those shouldn't be kids. And a kid like got hurt. I guess like turned her ankle or something like that. Like going for an Alonzo, like a non-homer, and he was so in the zone that like the camera cut back to him and he's just like rapping along with shook ones and kind of like dancing in the batter's yes. box while a kid is slowly helped all the way across the outfield. And I don't think he meant anything by it. He was just, he had, he had digger brain. Listen, it was just, it wasn't, listen. he wasn't using the parts of his, his mind or spirit that uh, elevate him. He's not letting some 12 year olds turned ankle ruining his night. That is no. Pete Alonzo night. And he's not letting a 12 year old <laughs> ruin it. Spirit. That's, it, honestly, that speaks very well of his potential to be a dad in the future. That, like at some point, he's just going to power through something with like a kid who's got a noticeably full diaper. He'll be like, you know what? Drove all the way here. Traffic was terrible. Like we we're staying until the end of this movie, and everybody else. <laughs> I know. Earlier in the year, we had talked about like not fully appreciating what Shohei Otani was done after. Two straight days of, oh, my God, Shohei Otani is the greatest thing we've ever seen. Do you think we're now fully appreciating him? I think everybody is kind of getting there. I think that this, it's weird. There was that whole, the blow up of Stephen A earlier this week, and everybody's kind of, you know, like, I think the thing that speaks to how, like, powerfully positive the presence he is, is that that was, so that was, like, one day of, like, really dour programming. You know, everybody's holding everybody else accountable, and it's, like, all very, you know, like corporate sensitivity mandated training and stuff. And then it's like everybody can just go back to talking about Otani and it works. Like he's just such a, I think if he talked more in press conferences, nobody would, like you don't really want to hear him get up there and be like, we battled out there today. Like I just want to see like a big handsome dude hitting homers and throwing a hundred miles an hour. Like as long as he's doing that, I think that that's like the one baseball experience that everyone can get. And the the fact that he's also doing this 
in this like little league styly where it's like the best hitter on the team is also the best pitcher on the team. <laughs> like I think that's the sort. Even if you were like a casual fan, you just like if you had stopped playing baseball in sixth grade and then you dropped back in to see that, you'd be like, oh, good, that's still happening. Cool. <laughs> Well, what are the odds, because we go through this with hockey and the Golden Knights sometimes when the Russian players need the translator, and then like everyone walks away and you hear the guy speaking perfect English and laughing at everybody. Is there any odds or percentage Otani's just making fun of all of us and, and speaks perfect English? Do you feel like he was talking like some like gentle trash in English during the game? And I think that that's like, I hope that that's something that he's capable of doing a little bit, but I feel like in any of these scenarios, like he's still a ball player. Like the first... 25 words in English that he learned, like a solid dozen of those are certainly profanity. You know, like I think there's not too much that he could do after a game. I know I've really treasured these stories. Somehow the athletic has a new one every three months about like Ichiro's secret ability to speak English and like crack people up by just being a maniac. And he spoke through a a translator for pretty much his entire career. I think just Mm -hmm. because he wanted to have that like element of control over how he was quoted and, and what he says. And I can't really gainsay that. That's fine. It's just good to know that like in like other moments, people would like say things to him, like, you know, like Mike Sweeney would try to say something in Japanese and Otani would, or, and like Ichiro would be like, Hey, your ass looks great in those pants, dude. Which is just like <laughs> saying weird, random stuff in perfect English to people. seems like a pretty great fit. If nobody knows that you can do it. Uh, baseball gets criticized a lot for not having marketable stars or not marketing its stars enough with like Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis, and even like Vlad Guerrero Jr. in there. It it feels like they've got the guys to market. It feels like they've got the faces of baseball that could be here for a while. Absolutely. And that's the part of it that I don't get about like the, the general, like the vibe of the conversation about baseball tends to be so negative and I understand it a lot of the time because it's frustrating the way the owners act. It's frustrating that, you know, a third of the league is just tanking out hard at any given moment. Like, all of that really is annoying. And yet, like, the games themselves are still, despite all of that, very fun to watch. And watching, you know, Tatis and watching Otani, like, that's of, like appointment viewing. Like, if they're on the, whatever, Sunday Night Baseball or something like that, like, I make the point of watching it. And I'm not obviously a casual fan. Like, I'm a weirdo who will stay up to watch whatever but like i think that normal you know like if you if you like baseball there are people playing baseball in a cooler way now than at just about any time that i can remember and i think that like if baseball can't figure out a way to like just show that to people like that's i think the number one thing like find a way to stop talking about it like you're always in crisis and the league is dying and whatever and just like put Tatito out there and let people figure it out. Cause I really think it's as simple as that. Like they're that cool. It should work. Do you know anything about fake horses? Oh God. <laughs> um, what? No, educate me. What, uh, what do I oh, need to please, learn? Please don't tap. So, so oh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's in the world of NFTs. So they're fake horses, but you race them against each other and you can breed them and sell them. And it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. So, are you actually digging it? Because I have been fascinated by, I've been kind of trying to write about like NFT and crypto stuff. And I, I just have to take breaks every 20 minutes because my brain is not built to assimilate this information. Like I just need to lie down in a dark room. How did you get into NFT horses? Well, one of my friends was like, I'm doing this. And I was like, all right, I'll do it with you. So there's now five of us in a group together. And yeah, we race horses every day and, and buy and breed and sell fake horses. And like, the thing about like most NFTs is they just sort of exist digitally somewhere. And you're just like, yes, I have this. 
these exist digitally, but we can race them against other people who have the same thing and beat them. Oh, that actually sounds cooler than because it seems like something you're you're just doing this for yucks, right? You're not like trying to eventually turn this into buying. No, no, we, oh, no, 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 no. We are we are up two thousand dollars. There we, are we there are, are idiots out there who are buying these fake horses for fifty thousand dollars. See, that's the part of it that's always like. I, I mean, whatever. Do whatever you want with fifty thousand. <laughs> if I had fifty thousand yes. dollars, I would probably be more inclined to spend it on something that is like I, I don't know, like a more fungible token, like dinners <laughs> <laughs> or a car. But I think that there's uh, like if you're having fun with it, that part of it makes sense. The idea of it as this comedy, this is the part of it that kind of overwhelms me in reading about it. Is people talking about it as this like this liberatory thing, like this is what like gets us off, like gets the the boot of big finance off our neck? And I'm like, hell yeah! And then they're like, and it's an imaginary coin. And <laughs> yeah. it's, remember yes. the dog from the meme, the one that was like, wow, such coins. That's the guy. So that's the thing that's going to get you free and out of uh, under like industrial capitalism's thumb. Yeah. And, and at some point in there, I just lose the thread. And we use that fake coin to buy fake horses and race them against other fake horses. And now, and now I'm right back there with you because I'm like, all right, cool. Well, that's I mean, probably not as cool as real horses, but much less mess to clean up. Uh, oh, yeah, you don't have very to feed positive. them. Don't have to feed them. There's no hay to. We're scared of peeing in and getting disqualified. It's great. So, so they didn't reinvent Tamagotchis for another no, generation. That's no, probably for the best. Yet. Not yet. But listen, if they ever give us the chance to dope our horses, we are cheating. We are absolutely <laughs> cheating with our horses, and we will not stop. Uh, it's nice to be able to do some light Baffert cosplay <laughs> with your friends. It sounds good. Well, he is David Roth from The Defector. David, we appreciate Thanks, it this Dave. morning. Thanks for having me, guys. See Have you. a good one. You too. Don't forget, 8 o'clock hour, we're racing live yeah. on the air. <laughs> I'll deal with, I'll uh, I, choose McElroy's approach that just went within five feet of the uh, cup. So right. I'll, I'll deal with approach. McElroy. Are you, you going to be able to do the show and tell segment next? Or are you going to be too fascinated by golf up here? I'll probably be too fascinated by Roy McElroy. All right, I'll show play. and tell coming up next where we learn about Roy McElroy. Ed Graney has been a journalist for over 30 years. He's seen a lot of sh and been given a lot of free stuff. Oh, brother. All right, back to show and tell. Whether it was scurvy or a padre eating a Snickers bar. Why don't you bring this potato? You're always trying to give me potatoes. What is it with you? Ed Graney is here to show and tell. Great song. Are we getting a show or a tell? Got to get a tell. Or a watching golf? We got to watch golf here. I think Rory might be two under. Ustazen's in at six under. He's a leader. Spieth. Spieth needs to, uh, Spieth needs to have a good run here. He's really um, struggled after that huge run he had of majors and trying to get his game back. So I'd like Spieth to make a run. Rory's my favorite player, so I want him to make a run. I just looked up, and Mickelson was... Um, uh, Mickelson has this walk when he hits a crappy shot with his shoulder slouch and he kind of walks slow. So I haven't seen him. I'm trying to find him on the uh, on the list here, but he must have bogeyed something because it was just a disastrous walk. Um, I like Shoffley a lot, uh, alum of my school. He's at even. Um, your guy, Br Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Jared, plus one for the day. He went in at plus one. Probably because they asked him to hurry up, and he said, "I, you know, in, in Europe, they're like, hey, you got to hurry up, man. This isn't like, you know, this isn't a, a, a Hilton Head. You, we, we do things fast. Let's go." Um, so he did that, and then, oh, you know, when you, you know, when it's bad. I'm looking at for Mickelson when you're scrolling down. Oh, there he is, Oof, plus two through four. 
Phil's got that slouchy through look. Through four? It's plus two through four. Oh yeah, it's not good right now for Philly. Um, there's the great McElroy. He's got plenty of time to turn it around. Do you have a Do you have a favorite golfer? No, not at all. Really? No. Well, I mean, you, Tiger. You, you you say that like it's just so silly to have a fake uh, a real golfer win in ten minutes. You can say I have a fake horse. Yeah, riding, why so. would I watch real golf when I'm going to watch fake horses? <laughs> if they okay, because if they it's make fake normal. Golf, <laughs> uh, if they make fake golf, uh, that'd be hard. I still. It'd be yeah. You'd have to use the real names. You couldn't have you know. You'd want Rory McIlroy, not Wiggly Diggly. So you know, I mean, you, you'd want real names and real golfers, which I assume. I'm not a video game guy, but I absolutely know they have video games for these guys, yes. and you can have the real you can have the real golfers. You don't yes. have to make up names and colors and weird stuff that they do in the horse racing. Why is Rory your favorite? Because he's Irish. Oh Jesus! <laughs> what do you mean? Completely nationalistic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's Irish. <laughs> like seriously, that's the answer. I mean, what else? What, what else would the answer be? I don't. I, mean, I have no idea. Genuinely, growing up, I, I I grew up with blonde hair, and so my favorite player was John Elway because he had blonde hair. Oh boy! So like, yeah, that's the his reason was better than mine. <laughs> but I, then again, I was seven. And John Elway played with a football helmet on. Like that's the thing about football players; you don't actually see their faces. Rory's from Northern Ireland. A lot of stuff happens in Northern Ireland. Uh, some good, some bad. <laughs> hey, there's let's been a not lot get of, into the been troubles. A, there's been a lot of bad. There's been a lot of troubles. Uh, but, yeah, that's really – he's, he's always been my favorite golfer ever since he went on tour. Wait, Northern Ireland's a whole separate country, isn't it? No, it's uh, part it's, of the United Kingdom. Well, it's part of the, yeah, it's part I of mean, the United it is Kingdom. Like, it, is a, it is its own country. If you but, went there and you've been there, I've been there, you'd think it's its own country because yeah. you're watching – you're looking over your shoulder a lot. Uh but yeah, it's part of the United Kingdom, and that's where he's from. And he's just my favorite golfer. Okay, there's no I... other explanation. Um, but your 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 ancestors, your family's no, not from we, Northern Ireland, right? no, from County Mayo, Ballinrobe. So I feel like you're cheating a little bit here. <laughs> okay, okay, fake horse guy. You're breeding <laughs> fake horses, and they're eating fake hay. I'm not claiming and, they're from my country and, when they're not. And, they're, and well, we don't know what country they're from. They're fake. They you have, could have them come hey, from anywhere. They have birthdays. <laughs> okay, he's buying a so cake. Here's the he's thing. buying a cake, and we know it. Here's the thing. I know we're alike in this sense. I know my dog's birthday. Yes, absolutely. and weirdly. We do something Absolutely. for the dog on the birthday. Why wouldn't you? I draw the I draw the line at fake birthdays because the dog actually exists. So when we get the dog the cake or whatever we get it at the bakery, we've done that a lot. Uh, we have the birthday party. I get that. The fake birthday parties would be weird. We're up two thousand bucks. These horses are making but here's me a, more money here's than my dog. You're never going to use that money for the fake horses. So if you don't give the fake horse a present, then what's the point of saying it you have it? Put them in a race. They get to run. It's great. So when one the, of our horses has made us eight hundred dollars. So when breeding. the video comes up and it tells you what the horse is, you know, Philly mare, whatever it is, it also says the birthday, or is well, it on that the birthday day? Birthday is the day. Is that day that you see everything right. about it? Yeah. So. Piggly Wiggly, yeah. Philly. Yeah. So <laughs> this like, is the date. So yeah, all all of our horses, I think, have a birthday between May and July right now because we've turned over our stable from when we started. So <laughs> we've had twenty seven yeah. children in a two month period. Yeah, we've had a lot. <laughs> we have had a lot. So you know, I don't know if that's next, really possible. Next May, Ed, we're going to be celebrating a lot of horse birthdays <laughs> around here.